Hey friends, this is Josh Blair, and I'm the pastor of Central Valley Church, and this is our podcast. My prayer for the message you hear today is that it will inspire you and encourage you to walk closer with Jesus this week. If you want to stay connected with us, please check us out at CVC Madera, both on Facebook and Instagram. And you can check out our YouTube channel, Central Valley Church. Thanks for listening. We're continuing in our series on follow, looking at what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's so strange to me that some of us have been in church most of our lives, and we've never been taught what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. What does it look like? What does it sound like? And we want to be people who, uh, who look like Jesus and sound like Jesus. And so we've been looking at the follow series, doing the one command that Jesus gave us after he rose from the, from the grave, and it was to make disciples as we are living our lives to bring people to Jesus, to be influential. So we've, we're learning how to be with Jesus, how to listen to him, how to obey, how to uh, be healed by him and how to be a healing for others. And we've been in this series now for the last few weeks. We've got a couple more weeks of it of, of a focus on learning to love like Jesus loves and learning to be loved the way that Jesus really loves us. And uh, the way that he loves us should shape the way that we live our lives. Would you agree? There should be a fundamental shift in the way our lives look and how we live and respond to the world around us by understanding his deep love for us. And one area that should be shaped by his love is the way that we look at the world and how the world affects us. It should, his love for us should be a barrier between us and the world and our response to it. And case in point, there's a lot of anxiety right now in our world. Would you agree? Yes. Some of us are even wrestling with anxiety, wrestling with worry and just being overwhelmed and even, even fits of depression. And some of us maybe are in a, a depression right now. There's a lot of anxiety in the world and uh, not only in the world, but in the church. And frankly, there's a lot to be anxious about. You look around the world right now, there's a lot to be anxious about. I mean, just trying to get fuel in my truck gives me anxiety. The, the high fuel price, come on. I'm like, I don't, how close can I pull that trigger and let it go? You know, like, there's a lot to be anxious about. There's wars. There's, there's, there's division in our, in our society. There's hidden agendas with our children. There's so many things that are going on that we're like, man, we got to be aware of it. There's, it's causing more anxiety. There's uh, divisiveness. There's still sickness. There's still people that are getting sick and people that are dying. There's so much to be anxious. Maybe you're feeling anxious, me talking about it right now. You're like, please stop. I don't want to think about that right now. There's a lot that's going on that's caused anxiety and especially if we're prone to worry. And a lot of us are prone to worry. A lot of us have that, that tendency to lean towards the, half is, the, glass, the glass is always half empty. There's always something to worry about. And when anxiety and, and issues in our world rises, anxiety rises as well. So this morning I want to talk to us about what the Bible says about worry and anxiety and how these feelings relate to our understanding of God's love for us. Is that okay? Can we dive into that? Some of us are needing that. Would you agree? And to do that, I want to, read, I want to read out of the book of Philippians. Because in that book, that book is really all about how to deal and how to have the peace of God in the middle of circ horrible circumstances and trials. And in that book, there's a, there's a verse that's very famous that talks about anxiety. And so I'm going to focus on that this morning. Because the book of Philippians was written to show us as followers of Jesus how to live at peace regardless of external circumstances. We need that today. How can I still live 
in peace. How can I still have peace when I lay my head down on the pillow and when I rise the next day with all the craziness that's going around, not only in the world, but maybe in my relationships, maybe in my own home, maybe in my own finances. How do I have peace when all of this is all around me? How do I have it? And we look at this uh, at a book that was written by a man who is challenging his people, the people of God, to have peace while he's sitting in prison, writing them a letter, instructing them how not to be anxious and how to have peace in their life. Come on. Some of us are struggling with, you know, things that are going on, but you're not sitting in prison right now. And Paul, writing this letter to the Philippians, is in prison, writing to them about how to have peace. I want to give you a little bit of history on the book of Philippians. If you know me at all, I love history. I'm a history buff. I, in fact, I had, I had majored in history, and then the Lord was like, nah. And so then I switched to biblical studies, which is still history, but it brings life. And, um, and so I love history. And there's, there's a portion of, of the Bible that if we know the historical context, we have a better application of how to apply it today. So we're not taking random verses out of context and being like, this is my life verse. And we're like, you don't even quote that right. Because it's not even, that's not the context, right? So knowing the history of it is important. And so the book of Philippians was written by Paul. And Paul first went to Philippi in 50 AD, and he began to witness, like a cold witness. Like Paul was a door-to-door salesman for Christ, knocking on people's doors like, you need to know Jesus, you know? He was like a vacuum salesman, but he actually was giving something they needed, and it was Jesus. He was just cold calling people. Have you known Jesus yet? In Philippi, that's what he was doing. 50 AD showed up, no, not a single believer. Paul walks into the scene and begins to plant a church. And a few people make decisions to follow Jesus. And as they're there, there's a story there as he's witnessing in Philippi about a, a slave girl who's a fortune teller. She's demon-possessed, and she starts crying out. This is the, these are the ones who serve the Most High God, right? Yelling out, and they cast that demon out of her. And then it causes a stir in the city because it starts messing with the economy of the city. And so the owners of that girl get them to, to, to throw Paul into prison, and they, they publicly beat him and embarrass him. They strip him naked and whip him, which is against Roman law because he was a Roman citizen. And he's beaten naked for something that he was doing for the Lord, freeing this girl. And he's thrown into prison, and in the middle of the night in stocks, I love this story of Paul and Silas. In the middle of the night in this prison, illegally locked up, beaten and sore naked, They're laying there with their hands and feet shackled, and they're worshiping to God. And as they worship him, because the peace of God is in them and with them, there's an earthquake, and the doors fling open. And the jailer runs in, and he's thinking all of them have escaped, and he's about to kill himself because he knows he's about to get in trouble with the Roman authorities. Paul stops him and tells him, we're all here, and then begins to lead this prisoner, the one who was mocking him and spitting at him and probably beat him. And he leads him and his entire family to Jesus. It's a powerful story of what God does in that moment when Paul was planting the church in Philippi. Now, 10 years later, he's in prison again, but he's in Rome. And he's been in prison, locked up in Rome for two years, and he begins to write this letter to the Philippians. And we have it because he wrote it down for us. And the whole book of Paul writing to them is how to find joy in the middle of difficult situations. And if anybody has the right to write to people how to have joy in the middle of difficult seasons and situations, it's Paul. And so he begins to write these things down. 
And the most famous verse that pops out this morning is found in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 through 7. And that's where we're going to camp this morning. So if you have it, I want you to turn there with me. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. And this passage is all about how to have peace all the time. So if you're, if you're really questioning this morning, how can I have peace all the time? I want you to take extensive notes because the Lord is going to reveal to us right now how to have it. Let's read together. Starting in verse 4, it says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. There's a song. Remember that song? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, and again, I say rejoice. I mean, that's the Israel Houghton version, but I mean, (laughs) funneled through me, so. I love that. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Verse 5, let your reasonableness, another translation says gentleness, be known to everyone. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand, or the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, another way of saying that is, and the peace of God that gives you peace when everyone says, and including yourself says, I should not have peace. It surpasses our understanding of why we would have peace. Let the peace of God guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So Paul is giving us four commands here to help us have the peace of God in our lives. Are you ready for the first one? It's already in the verse. My first point this morning, I want you to write this down in your notes. If you want to have peace, if you want to find peace every day, the first thing you have to do is rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord always. Maybe you're saying, what? How am I supposed to rejoice in the Lord always? Rejoice is repeated nine times in this book in the Philippians. In Philippians, A book about how to have peace and joy in the midst of difficult times, the first command is rejoice. Yeah, but what if I don't feel like it? Okay, but rejoice. Yeah, but you don't understand my situation. Yeah, okay, rejoice. Rejoice. It means to be glad and take pleasure all the time, all the time. And it's a, it's a command. He's saying you have a choice here. Yeah, you're in the middle of hardness, a hard situations. You can choose to be in it and wallow in it, like a pig in the mud, and feel like, oh, this feels good to wallow in this. Oh, it just feels, oh, life is hard. I hate this. Hey, get over here. Get in this mud with me. This is horrible. Life is horrible. Why, are we, why is this happening to us? I don't know. You get in the mud over here too. Then there's a, life is horrible, right? You can choose to wallow in it. And sometimes misery loves company. Life is horrible, is it? Yeah, it's horrible. Yeah, it's horrible together. Let's be horrible together. Or you can choose to rejoice in it. Why is that important? Proverbs, I want to write this verse down. Proverbs 15, 15 says, A cheerful heart has a continual feast. A cheerful heart will always feed you something that is good from the Lord. See, in the middle of difficulty, we're commanded to look for pleasure. We're commanded to look for pleasure. Does that, that sounds unusual. But it's not unusual because we instinctively do it. When we're going through difficult moments, we instinctively look to find pleasure in something to alleviate the problems that we're in. 
But Paul is saying when you are going through something, you're going to look for pleasure. But the important part is where do, you lie, where do you find the pleasure you're seeking? See, a lot of people, when they're going through difficult times, they turn to a bottle. They turn to a drug. They turn to pornography. They turn to extramarital affairs. They turn to other things because they are, no, they are hurting and they don't know where to turn. So they find pleasure in other things rather than the Lord. I, I, I know that um, even when people are going through a hard time, they walk in and they're, man, man, life is hard. You know what? Let's get a drink. You, want, you need a drink? Let's numb the pain that you're going through right now. See, we think it's odd when I say when you're going through a difficult time, find pleasure and rejoice. And you're like, that seems abnormal. But we already instinctively do that. The problem is we look, for every, we look everywhere else but Jesus. Paul is saying, even in the middle of your hard times, you can find pleasure in Jesus. Why? Because the Bible says, at the right hand of God, there is pleasures forevermore. Who's at the right hand of the Father? Jesus. So we look to Jesus, we find our joy, we find our pleasure. We can rejoice in the Lord always, always. Some people will turn to food. Some people will turn to the mall. Some people will turn to Amazon. Sometimes I like to drive through my neighborhood to see who is hurting. How many boxes are out front? God bless them right now. There's like 15 boxes from Amazon. God, they must be going through it right now. Lord, let them turn to you, Jesus. Some of us look for external ways to find peace. We try to bring peace in all the time. We all, we're looking to other things. Mine is food. I love food. I love sweets. When I'm having a hard day, an Oreo milkshake hits just right. It hits just so good. But sometimes if I continue to indulge in those things rather than turning to the Lord, it begins to numb the very thing that I need healing from and I need deliverance from. That Oreo shake is not going to set my problems free from me. Only Jesus can do that. My question for us is what kind of pleasure do you look to in the middle of your trial? Ask yourselves, when I'm going through it, where do I turn to find pleasure? Where am I looking? Is it trying to get another round of golf in? Is it trying to buy it, look at, at, at getting a new car? Where do we turn when we're looking for comfort and pleasure in the middle of our trial? Paul says if you want to find lasting peace, you need to take pleasure in the Lord. Because real peace doesn't come from medicating our lives or filling our lives with one more thing. Real peace comes from taking joy in the Lord. And then he says, always. Now, some of you don't know the original Greek, so let me break it down for you. Always means always. Yep, see, my dad, you got a degree in Greek? Wow. Always means always. Always means always. So when your roof is leaking and when the tax bill comes in, hello, always rejoice. When you... When you thought you did well on the exam and you come back and you got the D, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. When, when life is wonderful and when life is not wonderful, rejoice in the Lord always. You can, you can choose to rejoice. You have a choice. You can't necessarily control all the stuff around you, but you can control your attitude and how you're going to respond to who Jesus is. Why do we have the ability to rejoice always? Because we understand how much he loves us. 
His love for us is unconditional. His love for us is unlimited. It's, the Bible says his mercy is new every morning. I wake up, even if I, uh, if I just fell into stuff and I, just, I, I treated people wrongly, I spoke harsh things, I thought thoughts that were not kind, I wake up in the morning, his mercy is there again. I can rejoice in the Lord always. See, but no one in their right mind is always joyful. Can I say that? If you have somebody who's always just like, that's a sign to run. Because no one is just always joyful. No one's always just like, that's what, that's what um, the serial killers look like in movies. You know, they're like, uh, that's why Joker was Joker in Batman, because he was unstable. And he was just like this all the time. I'll put a smile on that face. That's a problem, right? So not everyone, we're not always joyful all the time. Right, Because we're human beings. We have ups and downs. If our weight can fluctuate three to four pounds from the morning to the night. Come on, anybody trying to cut some weight here? You wake up in the morning, you weigh yourself, I feel pretty good. You come at night, you're like, holy cow, these pants don't fit anymore. If our weight can fluctuate up and down in the middle of the day, how much more can our emotions fluctuate up and down? Right? We're, we're a constant state. Right? If our blood sugar can shoot up and shoot down, like, why do we think our emotions are immune? So we're not always just like, oh, this is, oh, life is butterflies and candy canes and wonderful things. It's not always that way, but we have the ability to choose in it. And you have, you have the right to be bummed out if you want to be, right? You're not, God is not forcing you to rejoice and like, rejoice always. Be happy. He's not doing that. You can be bummed out if you want to be bummed out. You have the right to be bummed out. You have the right to be mopey if you want to be mopey. But just recognize that that's going to steal your peace. It's going to rob you. So if you, if you like wallowing in it, you can. You can. Sometimes it feels good to wallow in it. But over time, you're going to, you're going to realize that the peace that you're so longing to have in your heart is not there because, because you've missed a crucial, a, a crucial step in, in what it means to have peace in your life, and it's rejoicing in the Lord always. See, the, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says we don't always have to be bummed out by life circumstances. The Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write, rejoice in the Lord always. It's not just his opinion. It was the Holy Spirit inspiration that he wrote to the people in, in, in Philippi, and he's writing to us today. You have another option. You have the ability to choose to rejoice. And you can live above your circumstances. Why? Because our joy is not predicated on whether or not we're having a good day or a bad day. That's what happiness is. Are you happy? Oh, I'm happy. Yeah, I had a good day. You know, they had a two-for-one deal at McDonald's. I'm happy. It's a happy day, a happy meal. But joy is not predicated on whether I had a good day or a bad day. My joy is predicated on the fact that I know the Father and His love for me. And you can rejoice in the Lord because He is above your circumstances and he is ultimately in control of your life. I love what Romans 8.28 says. And it continues in verse 31 and verse 39. It says, And we know that all things work uh, for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. Right? We quote that all the time. And listen, it says in verse 31, And if God is for us, who can be against us? Verse 39, And trouble and hardship and persecution cannot separate us from the love of God who is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's, the tr that's like promise. 
Sometimes we, 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 we think that verses are only good for our, our bio on Instagram and, and putting it on the back of our bumper stickers on our car, and we don't live in the fact that it's truth. It's truth that nothing can separate me. No matter how hard it is, no, how ta- no, how, not, no matter how high my tax bill is, nothing can separate me from the love of God. So God invites us, even commands us to take joy in him all the time. And the next portion says, he tells us to be gentle to everyone. If you want to have peace, learn to rejoice in the middle of, of your dark days and learn to be gentle even when things aren't going right for you. Be gentle to everyone. The word gentle means to show forbearance towards someone, to give grace towards someone. It's the opposite of anger, harshness, brutality, right? Remaining kind in the face of insults is gentleness. That's a real strength. Our natural response when things aren't going well for us is to not be gentle towards others. That's a natural response, right? Things like, hey, watch out. Dad had a hard day. Give dad some space. He had a hard day. You're just grumpy. You're not gentle. And we have to warn people around you. Hey, don't talk to her before she's had a cup of coffee. <laughs> don't. You're going to get chewed up and spit out. She's got to have that juice, that, that go-go juice, before she's able to be talked to. Right? Yeah, make sure, oh, they, make sure they have something to eat before you talk to them, before, they, before you even approach them. That's not strength. That's a weakness. That's that's allowing our circumstances to dictate how we treat people when Jesus told us to love one another. And, and instead, we're allowing life situations to come in and, and dictate how we're going to treat people. See, one, one thing that marks the people of God is gentleness. We're being gentle. See, Paul knew something about being treated wrongly. Whipped, beaten, wrongly imprisoned, humiliated against the law, thrown into prison. The whole city was against him, and yet Paul was gentle. The whole city, can you imagine? All of Madeira comes out to see you beaten at the the courthouse park. All around you, mocking you you and spitting on you and laughing at you. You're thrown into prison. You come out and you respond like Paul. We see, in fact, that even after the Lord let him and Silas out of prison... He was gentle to the one who had beaten him, the jailer, bringing him to Christ. Over a period of 20 years, when on many occasions he was beaten and stoned and slapped and shouted down, even when he writes this passage, he's in prison with no charges against him. They didn't even tell him why they locked him up. They just put him in there, threw away the key. We're going to hold you. For what what reason? I don't know. Or you're going to just stay in jail. And in the middle of that, Paul still has a gentle spirit towards people. How did he do it? It's a great question. He says, because he was aware that the Lord was near. You go back to that verse again. Verse, verse 5. Let your gentleness be known to all. The Lord is at hand. He knew that the Lord was near him. How much gentler would you be if you realized the Lord was near you all the time? How, how much more would you, would you speak in kindness to somebody when the Lord is near? 
right? I mean, I, I do that right now. If, if my, my boys are acting up and it's just me and them, I speak a little more harshly. I told you to stop messing around on the road. <laughs> but somebody comes in and is like, oh, hi, Pastor. How you doing? Yeah, sit down now, young man. Sit down, young man. Be cool. Be calm. Everything's good. We change by who's in the atmosphere around us, how we respond to situations and circumstances. So if we allow a, a person who is flawed and imperfect to come in and, and change the way we respond in a situation, how much more should our response to situations around us be changed when the King of glory is near us? He is ever-present. He is always with you. He says he will never leave you or forsake you. And some of us live as if he is far away. And in situations that are coming at us, we're flailing and, and just rampaging. And the Lord's like, I'm right here. I am right here. Why are you throwing a tantrum when I have all the power and all the authority and all the dominion and I'm right here? I'm right here. How would you speak to your children? How would you speak to your husband or your wife when you would recognize that the Lord is close by you? How would you treat people if you realized they were someone the Lord completely adores and that he gave his life for? How would you treat them when you would realize the king of glory is near you and he would whisper in your ear, yeah, they cut you off, but I love them and I died for them. Yeah, they're, st- they're talking bad about you, but I love them and I died for them. I want you to show them my love today. I want you to speak kindness to them today. I want you to be gentle. See, even when people make poor choices around us that affect us negatively, we can be gentle because the Lord is near us. See, besides rejoicing always and being gentle to everyone, Paul says that we can find peace in the middle of our trials if we will not be anxious about anything. This is always a frustrating one for me. He, he, he's a, it's a command. Don't be anxious. Well, if I could just not be anxious, I would not be anxious. You know what I mean? How do I, how do, I do that? But it happens because it's, a, it's a, a formula for success that Paul's writing out here. Recognize that you have something to be joyful for. Recognize that, that our responses should not be dictated by the things around us. So you be gentle. Because when you're gentle to people, the way you respond to them, it shifts how they respond back to you. And so now the, the, the atmosphere around you begins to shift because you're recognizing the Lord is near. And in that moment, now you can choose because now you have a higher perspective over what's going on in your life. You can now choose to not be anxious. Sometimes when we just take that verse and say, hey, don't be anxious, it doesn't help us. It makes us more anxious. Please don't tell me not to be anxious. I'm already anxious. Now I'm anxious about not being anxious. That's not helping me. But we have to have a different perspective of what God has called us to and who he is and how he loves us first before we can choose to come over the anxiety that we're facing. Do you see what I mean? There is a layout here, Paul saying, be, be conscious that the, that the Lord is near you and that, that he has the ability to cause you to rejoice even in this situation. And because of that, now you have the freedom to choose not to be anxious about anything. Because anxiety just means worry. See, what kind of things do you worry about? Do you realize that the Lord wants you to live without worry? His command, do not be anxious, is something he wants for us. He doesn't want his people walking around worried all the time, wringing our hands, biting our nails. He doesn't want that for us. See, worrying is dwelling on things that you cannot change. 
Because if you could change it, you would have done it already. Anxiety, in a sense, is, this, is, is kind of like saying, I want to be God in, in this situation. And we're anxious because it's like, if I were God, I would have solved this already. But since you have it, now I got to worry about it. You know what I mean? Have you ever had something, a situation when you, you had somebody and they, were, they come along to help you and you gave them a task, but you really didn't trust them to complete it, so you had to keep coming back to them and say, did you do this yet? Did you do it? Have you done this yet? I got to come back in and check on it because I, I gave it to you, but I don't see that it's completed. It causes worry and anxiety. And then to the fact where you're like, I'll just do it myself because I don't have to worry about it anymore because I thought I could trust you, but I really can't. And what, that's what we do with the Lord all the time. Hey, God, I got a situation here. I don't know how I'm going to pay these bills. Can you take care of it for me? And then we come back. Did you take care of it? I don't see the bills are paid. What are you doing up there? Are you paying attention? You know what? Just give it to me. I'll carry it myself because I ain't got time. I should just figure out a way to do it on my own because I don't know if I can trust you enough with this situation. Hey, God, this situation in my marriage, it's not going well. Can you, can you help me out here? Okay, you haven't fixed her yet. So uh, what's going on here? Like, uh, are you going to do something here? Or are you going to do something? What do I need to do? Okay, I got to figure this out. That's anxiety. That's what worry is. And God says, I've got you. Trust me. Anxiety is essentially saying, I don't trust you, God. And I don't want that to be a harsh word because a lot of us wrestle with it. But we need to have a different perspective on it. See, there's one author that says this, anxiety is functional atheism. See, when we, we are anxious, we don't believe God is really in charge and he's really going to do something for us. We don't believe that he, when he says, I am your provider, we say, nah, you're not. It's functional atheism. We say we believe in a God who provides and then we live our lives like, like he doesn't provide. But Matthew 6, 25, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not, be, do not worry about your life. What you shall eat, what you shall drink, what you shall wear, is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his or her day? But instead, he says, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. See, it's a, it's a, again, it is a perspective shift. He says, seek first the kingdom. Who is in the kingdom? The king. Seek first the kingdom. Seek first God. Seek first Jesus and rejoice in him and love him and know that he's right here beside you. And as you, as you see that and as you understand that, now you can say, why are you anxious, oh my soul? Why do you worry about things that I cannot change? I seek the one who can do all the things in me. And so it shifts us. But it doesn't help people to quote verses out of context. You're not helping anybody say, don't worry about it. Eh, just don't worry about it. Don't worry. No, I really did. Can you help me? Don't be anxious. We still got people walking around thinking, man, the church is full of people who just want to tell you what to do, but they don't demonstrate it for themselves. There's a quote here from Corey Tinboom. She was a, or yeah, was a, in the concentration camps. In World War II, horrible conditions, horrible conditions. People starving, treated them like dogs, murdered over six million Jews. Sitting there in the concentration camp and said this, worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow, it empties today of its strength. Can I say that again? Write this down. Worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow, 
it empties today of its strength. That's what worry does. That's what anxiety does. So then if we're asking, then if I'm not supposed to be anxious and I'm not supposed to worry, what is the alternative? What's the alternative to worrying? Another great question. The answer is found here. Talk to God about everything. Instead of being anxious, go to the Lord in prayer with thanksgiving. Make your pleas, make your prayers known to God. That's number four. Talk to God about everything. Talk to Him about anything. It's a command. See, God knows we need to talk about our trials and our struggles, and He commands us to pour out our souls to Him. God never gets tired of hearing about your problems. He never hear, he, he's never uh, grows tired of, of you bringing your concerns to him. He always has an ear to listen. People around you might get tired of it, but God will never grow tired of it because he's God. He has a great capacity to hear the concerns of his people. When difficulties come, many people do the opposite of that. Instead of talking to God, they worry about everything. They're harsh to people around them. They talk and complain to others who can't do anything about it. I just, man, I had a hard day and they call somebody. This is what happened. Oh, man, I'm sorry about that. That's all you got to say? Well, what, what can I do? Well, I don't know, but you just, you just listen. And they don't, they nothing, I mean, sometimes it feels good, but it doesn't change the situation. So I, but instead, we, we, start, we start complaining to people. We start being harsh. We we start worrying about it, and then we stop talking to God, the only one who actually can solve the problem for us. But God wants us to talk to him about our trials and everything else for that matter. And he wants us to trust him. The simple fact is that God did not create us to carry the weight of things we, we can't change. There are certain things that we can't change, and God's like, I didn't create you to carry that until it changes. That's my job. See, our job is to talk to him. His job is to carry the burdens. Jesus told us that in Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I'll give you rest. Some of us today are carrying things that we were never called to carry, that we cannot change. And Jesus said, I'm here, right here for you. Bring that weight to me. Bring that heaviness to me. And those things will begin to shift in our lives. See, we're willing, if we're willing to obey these four commands, there's a promise. And the promise is this, that the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. If you'll have these four characteristics, if you'll, have, if you'll respond with these four commands, the promise is the peace of God will guard your heart in Christ Jesus. This word peace Shalom in the Hebrew does not mean an absence of war. It means an absence of anything that would disturb your peace even in the middle of your trial. Shalom, peace, is peace in all areas of your life that goes beyond and exceeds our human understanding. This kind of peace does not mean an absence of difficulty. It just means that you will have peace in the midst of it. And the Bible says that he will set a guard, or another way of saying it is a garrison. He will set troops around you to guard your peace. 
So to illustrate this, I want to have a few guys come up. Chris, Davey, Sam, would you come up? Josh, would you come up here? These are my troops. The, the four musketeers, that's right. Look at these beautiful signs that Michaela made for me. Like that. You need that one. Be gentle to everybody. <laughs> Anxious for nothing, man. That's you. Sam, this one's for you, man, because I know you talk to the Lord. Talk to God about everything. So now these men representing the choices I've made in the middle of situations. So come over here, guys. You've got to guard me. Come on, get around me. I need a front and back. There you go. Now when worry comes in the name of Roger, <laughs> come on. When problems come and they're going to try to get me, these choices are going to defend me. Nope, I got peace. I got peace. Hey, don't rob them. See, being gentle is hard sometimes. Hello. Come on, get back. See, they guard me. When we make choices, when we make choices to, to trust the Lord and to, have re, to rejoice in the middle of it, to be gentle, to, to pray, to seek his face, to not be anxious, it guards us from attacks. Come on, Brandon. Come on, the attack of Brandon. Come on. Man, how am I going to pay my bills? How, how is this situation going to work out? Come on, get him. I'm talking to the Lord about it. Talking to the Lord about it. I'm being gentle and kind. Come on, I'm not anxious. Come on, church. Would you celebrate the fact that God wants to defend your peace today? God wants to defend your peace today. God wants to set a garrison around your heart and your mind in Christ. What does that mean? It means this, that when you are surrounded by the peace of God because you're making choices that are, that are saying, God, I want, I want you first. I'm rejoicing in you first. I know I have peace in you. Then it says your mind and heart are now hidden in Christ. And the enemy cannot touch Jesus. He did it once on the cross and Jesus kicked him in the teeth and rose from the grave. So now he, God wants to hide your heart and your mind in him. And now peace is what you're known for. And you respond differently. And this doesn't just have to be on random occasions. You can live a life known for peace. And people will know this person, no matter what happens, they're not shaken. They're on a firm foundation. And people come to you and say, what do you have that I don't have? And you tell them about Jesus. You have open doors to witness to them. How, how are you rejoicing in the middle of this? Because I know the God who loves me and who saves me. And his love is unconditional. And his love is there for me day and night. Why are you speaking so kindly to those people? They're backstabbing you, man. They're gossiping and slandering about you. Because I know my Lord is right by my side. He is my defender. He is my hope. He's my protector. He's my provider. I don't need to treat people poorly because they treat me poorly. Because God loves them. He died for them. They have worth and value. And even if they don't see my worth, I see their worth. Because I don't look through human eyes. I, th I look through the eyes of the Lord for that person. And I can respond, and I don't have to be anxious now because I know my Lord, I know he's near me, and I can choose not to be anxious. And in all of it, I talk to Jesus every day, and I'm speaking to him, and I'm telling him, God, I love you. I got, such, I got real problems, God. This, this, these commands 
are not saying that your problems are light or that they're not real or they're not, they're not consequential or not serious. They are. They are. But we talk to Jesus about them. And he comes and he speaks to our hearts and he brings his comfort and his peace and he guards us from all those things that come in to attack you. Some of you have been wrestling with things. Some of you have been dealing, the enemy has been coming at you and he's been robbing you of sleep and he's been robbing you of peace and he's been robbing you of joy. And God is saying to you today, son, daughter, I want you to have my peace again. I want you to know my joy again. I want you to have, understand my love for you again. And he's calling us to respond in these ways. Gentlemen, thank you. You can have a seat right there. God wants to guard our peace. He wants to guard it in Christ Jesus. He wants to hide us in Christ Jesus. He wants to set a garrison around us. And we're talking about peace today and how to have it even when the world around you is at war. Even when you feel like there's no solution to the conflict, it would be wonderful if we had world peace. But we don't have to have we don't have to wait for the peace for the peace of the world to happen before we can have peace in our own hearts. We don't have to wait for external peace to have internal peace. We can find peace today in Jesus. And it tells us how to have lasting and real peace even in difficult situations. Take joy in God. Be gentle to everyone. Don't be anxious about anything and talk to God about everything. And as you do these things, God's promise to you is that he'll guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. If I can have the worship team come as we close our time this morning. Maybe you're here today And you've never made peace with God. Maybe you don't have a relationship with God and you know your heart's not right with Him. What better time than right now to experience the peace of God in your life? The Bible says that there is a party in heaven when one lost soul comes to find Jesus. When one person turns to God. So if you're here today with every head bowed and every eye closed as we prepare our hearts for what the Lord wants to do as we're drawing near to a close. If you're here today and you don't know what it's like to have a relationship with Jesus, but you want to, it all starts with a conversation with God. If you want to do that today, then I want you to pray this prayer with me. First, I'm going to just ask you to slip up your hand. You want to give your life to Jesus as a sign of saying, Jesus, I want you. I want to give my life to you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Would you repeat this prayer after me? Say, God, today I want to have a relationship with you. I want to know your peace. So I invite you into my life Please forgive me for the things that I've done. I turn towards towards you and away from them. From this day forward, I want to live my life with your peace guiding me. The 
best I know how, I'll live for you from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. If you prayed that prayer for the first time or the first time in a long time, we want to connect with you. Uh, You can fill it out on the connection card in the seat back pocket if you'd like and hand that to me or my dad after service. Uh, Or you can online make a comment there in our comment section on our channel. And we want to connect with you because we're not supposed to do this alone. And maybe you're here today and you, you, you are a follower of Jesus, but you're not experiencing the peace of God in your life. And maybe it's because you're realizing you're not obeying these commands that are found in Scripture. I want you to take just a moment to talk to the Lord and ask Him to forgive you for choosing to surrender to these anxious and worrisome thoughts rather than turning to Him. Or choosing to allow your situations and circumstances to dictate how you respond to Him, how you treat other people, what you believe about Him. Ask Him, God, would you come in and forgive me? With your help, Jesus, I can live differently now. I can respond differently now. And I want to respond differently. But it's not in my own power. I need you, Holy Spirit, to help me. I need your help. Please forgive me. Wash over me. Cleanse me. And help me respond with joy again. Help me to be gentle and kind again. Help me not to be anxious, but help me turn to you always and seek your face. Help us, Jesus. Help us, Jesus. Help us, Jesus. Help us, Jesus. Move on your people right now. Move on us right now, Jesus. Oh, we love you, God. We praise your name, God. Have your way, Lord. Have your way. Have your way. I'm going to invite the prayer team up. We're going to close our time out this morning with some worship. And as we worship, we're going to open the altars. And if there's anything that you would like prayer for, something that I spoke about this morning, or just other things that are going on in your life, situations at home or sickness or whatever it might be, anything and everything that you want to have agreement uh, on in prayer, we open the altars to you. You can come down and we can pray with you if you want to come and just kneel in his presence as the worship team leads us. We're going to do that. I think it's important that we seal this word in our hearts and begin to worship in response to God's goodness because some of us are going to be hit with some heavy things. Maybe before this day is over, maybe throughout this week, 
And the enemy is going to challenge you to see if you really believe the word of God. If you really can rejoice always. You really can be gentle. You can really stop being anxious and instead turning to him. So I want to just seal this moment in prayer and believe that God is, is transforming us. That today, this day, April 24th, would be a day of significance for us. That anxiety died on this day. That worry no longer consumed our hearts anymore. That we found freedom on this day. That we can write down, this was a marker in my life where anxiety no longer stole my sleep anymore. It no longer robbed me of peace anymore. I now understand who Jesus is, how much he loves me, and I don't have to be bombarded with these things anymore. God wants to guard me. He wants to put a garrison around me to stop the things that would rob my peace. So if that's you, I want to just encourage everyone to stand to your feet as the worship team leads us. And if you want prayer, just come down to the altar. We're going to see the Lord touch lives today. Thank you, Jesus. Let's worship the Lord together. Thanks for listening to this message. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel to hear past episodes. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to rate it and share it with your friends and help us out a lot. If you're interested in supporting the ministry of support,